Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Tonight, I have the great pleasure of introducing not one, but two poets. Um, Los Angeles-based poet Peggy DeBreer joins us to present her new poetry collection, In the Lake of Our Bones, along with award-winning slam poet Eric Morago, who is here to read and sign his 2010 collection, What We Ache For. Peggy DeBreer, author of In the Lake of Your Bones, the latest title from Moon Tide Press, and has, uh, is the author of In, In the Lake of Your Bones, the latest title from Moon Tide's Press, and has had work published in Malpice Mal Review, San Pedro River Review, Word Rights Magazine, and elsewhere. She also founded the Horse of Another Color poetry series, which sounds amazing to me, and has organized the Small Press Festival in Santa Monica. Eric Morago is the poet-in-residence for the California Workforce Association and the host of the Shout poetry series in Whittier. He has also taught poetry workshops to at-risk youth, his first book, What We Ache For, came out from Moontide Press in 2010. And so now, without further ado, please help me welcome our guests as Peggy starts us off for the evening. Thank you, Laura. Didn't she do that well? Let's give her a round, another round of applause. That's her first time! Being the one who's usually introducing everybody, I know how you feel. And uh, I, I do want to thank Skylight and uh, Moontide Press for taking the plunge and doing this book, and, uh, and also to Eric for agreeing to read for me. You know, I've featured Eric so many times. He's like awesome poet in my life, and um, his book is pretty worn on my shelf, so we're going to take a risk and uh, braid the reading tonight, because I don't want to give the whole thing away, because on your chairs is a postcard for the 29th, and that's our really super duper book release. I'm going to tell you one more thing, and then I'll get going. Is that okay, Laura? Okay, I'm taking liberties. Um, we have a prompt for In the Lake of Your Bones. If you would like to participate in National Poetry Month, because this is National Poetry Month, and much of this book was written on a Poetry Month tour last year, and so we got excited, and uh, you know, at uh, Brendan's book release, we came up with a prompt for this book. And it is as follows. If the lake of your bones ran dry, what would be found there? I said it not so pretty. I said if they dredged the lake of your bones. <laughs> um, but 
what would be found there and what quality, what item, what lost and refound, remythologized thing. And uh, there's also some written material that goes along with it. So if you want me to send that to you, uh, hit me up and I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, both Eric and I write a lot about uh, love, relationships, what we ache for, desire. Um, right, yeah. Eric? So I'm going to start as... <laughs> I'm going to start as I, as I usually do. I think that's why I pick up your book and I go, yeah. Oh. <gasps> you know, because I, ha I have a lot of the, the same... Uh, um, I relate a lot to much of, of what you write. And uh, I think that in a lot of love poetry, um, a place where you find all of the, the joys and the sorrows, uh, the losses and the griefs and the miraculous wonder is in the obad, the morning after poem. And so I'm going to start by reading a couple of obads that are my favorites. And then I'm going to read one from my book. This is by Cecilia Wallach from Late. Now the trees stand outside of desire, stricken with silver, stripped leafless, alarmed. Still they long to be seen, throw themselves skyward with open arms, just as the earrings, obsidian, gleam where they lie, having longed to be taken off, not to be rid of themselves, but to hint at undressing, dalliance, O oh, brilliance of being a beautiful thing in a world of beautiful things, in which even suffering shimmers and means, in which even the, lover, the lover's absence pools in the shadows at my feet. I can step back from the window or not. I can choose to be just as lovely without ever being watched, as the bare trees make cradles for birds, as he once cupped the black tear-shaped jewels in his palm. O oh world, hold us up to this light. There is so much to lose we haven't lost. Cecilia Wallach. And this one is uh, by Thomas Merton, who... Uh, most of you know, was a Trappist monk who lived for 20 years in seclusion at Gethsemane. And before he became a monk, he was a drunken poet, womanizing poet on the streets of Chicago. This is called Obad the City. Now that the clouds have come like cattle to the cold waters of City's river, all the windows turn their scandalized expression toward the tide's tin dazzle and question with their weak-eyed stare the riotous sun. From several places at a time, cries of defiance, as delicate as frost, as sharp as glass, rise from the porcelain buildings and break in the blue sky. Then, falling swiftly from the air, the fragments of this fragile indignation ring on the echoing streets. No louder than a shower of pins. But suddenly, the bridge's choiring cables jangle gently in the wind and play like quiet piano strings. All down the faces of the buildings, windows begin to close like figures in a long division. And that's Thomas Merton. And then um, I'll read one more, and uh, it's uh, the Obad from this book. 
And you know, the, the, the Obad is usually written when the lover is leaving in the morning. This one never made it to morning. But, so I'm taking license here. Um, and I need to tell you that Devanagri is the name of the Sanskrit alphabet and that Adunda is a vertical stroke in writing Sanskrit and that uh, a single Dunda is used at the end of a sentence and a double Dunda indicates the end of a verse. So it's kind of, has a lot of meaning. I look for remnants in my side drawer, a mollusk, an errant sock, a book of matches that catches the eye. Once there was a market for such items. They reminded customers of what the Buddha said or the final words of a prophet whose last request is that I dance on his grave. How can I refuse? The rain of my loss runs down the cheek of each rendezvous, each piquet. Music disappears behind my bias, and the heel of my foot hits the ground hard with every breath. A man's name in Devanagri script is crisp and treacherous. Kali guides every dunda with the instinctual caution of a lioness with cubs. His footsteps creep across the crepe of night, abrupt as any leave-taking, weather already disturbing the evidence, changing its hue. His swift palate washes my room. And now here's Eric Marago. Thank you, Peggy. Thank you for your kind words. Really, it means a lot that uh, that I inspire you because I think your work is fantastic, and I think you're fantastic. So thank you. It's a wonderful compliment that I cherish. Um, so Peggy started off with some obads, and I was thinking to myself, oh, oh crap, I don't really have any. And then I realized I do, and I never realized that when I wrote this poem, I was writing an obad, even though I know what an obad is. So I was like, I just learned something new about my own book. I was like, oh, I do have an Obad. Awesome. I rarely read this, but since this is how Peggy started off, I will read mine. It's called After This Morning. I'm brushing my teeth with her toothpaste, a tang of mint stronger than I prefer, but it's there on that sink top, convenient, like bodies are after too much to drink, like excuses for actions and like beds. We are sharing the space of our hotel room's vanity sink, and she is wrapped in one of their terry cloth towels, whiter than white and smelling of far too much bleach. We are close enough to smell such things, but keep enough polite distance between us to remind ourselves we are still strangers here, and we will be after this morning, after these limbs of flesh have shaken the memory of the other like fall leaves, but right now, on the ridge of her shoulder, beads of water rest in that uncertain moment before they grow too heavy, lose their perfection, and glide down skin. I'm pretending not to notice this. Afraid if she catches me, she will think I want to know too much. The name of the first boy to break her heart, or everything she hates about herself. Instead, I lean over, 
swish and spit the minty froth from my mouth and watch it spiral under the running faucet just before it disappears, washed away like a name and someday a face. Thank you. You guys don't have to applaud after every poem. It's cool. I don't know. Peggy might like that. So for her, do it unless she tells you otherwise. But <laughs> take some valuable poem time. You can just wait till the end. Some people, yeah, there's some people who are like, no, 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 I want that applause. It ruins my rhythm. I don't care. Hoot and holler if you must. Whatever you want to do. You guys are in control. Um, I wrote this uh, the day of Peggy's, uh, I guess not official book launch, because your official book launch hasn't happened, but the Moontide's released for it at the Muckenthaler. I wrote this poem that day. Um, and it was after hearing about a news story on NPR about a 101-year-old woman who paraglided for her birthday and survived. It's called Unfastened. When they unfastened the harness, explained its aerodynamics, the means by which you'd fly, did you imagine it would come that easy to your bones? How the arthritis would chip away like chiseled rock, leave you so weightless, birds believed you goddess. Before you became a 101-year-old firework show, had you already known your body was built for the sky, your skin always wind-chimed song. Now look at you, hanging in the air like a wish. You were so free, as if you divorced gravity, slipped the wedding band off like a straight jack and put on your best-looking dress, one that makes the roaring twenties come alive in your chest again, where the band plays into early morning and your dance is a climb in altitude. We cannot help but marvel your flight. It's record-breaking reminder how our years do not have to anchor us to this earth, how all our bodies can refuse physics and the cruel principles of time. Thank you for this gift. Your promise we are each our own miracle, suspended below a hollow fabric wing of hope. How if we'd just let go, unfastened from all this disbelief, we would not fall. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read one more in this round. Um, yeah, so Peggy's book, uh, like my own, uh, deals a lot with desire. So I'm sure you guys are going to be hearing some, uh, some love poems. Um, what's that noise? What did you say? <laughs> so, yes. Um, I don't really read this one that often, but um, being it's National Poetry Month, um, there's a website going on right now um, featuring tattooed uh, poets named Tattoos Day. And uh, and I was April 2nd with the, this little Bukowski quote right here on my forearm. And the that featured day actually got picked up by another tattoo blog. I think it's called Sins and Needles. And I just reposted it today. Uh, so the idea is Bill Cohen, this author, I think he's out in Arizona. He uh, reaches out to poets in the month of uh for the month of April, who have tattoos, uh, and ask them to send a picture of the tattoo. It doesn't necessarily have to be words, or you know, it could be any kind of tattoo. And then they ask for a poet, a poem from the poet. And the poem doesn't necessarily have to be tattoo related as well. But I did give him a tattoo related poem. This is that poem. If you like the poem, go to the website and check out some of the other poets' work. Entangled. 
a beautiful portrait of destruction. Her back is tattooed from shoulder to shoulder. A giant octopus tears boats apart with unworldly tendrils. This turns me on. I have a preview besson again, thinking I found ambrosia between the pages of Victoria's secret catalogs. I get dizzy, lost in fantasy, how though its body is submerged in murky water, hidden by shading, I believe the monster is winking at me. I sit, imagine freckles into tiny frenzied sailors jumping ship into the dark of her skin, sinking down spines curved, drowning or falling into the creature's waiting open-beaked mouth. I would never tell her any of this, of course. Better she stay in the deep, a shadowy figure of myth, and like a yarn-spinning sea dog, swearing by fantastical beasts, all tentacles, sharp-snouted and snarl-toothed, I, too, am ensnared, imagination entangled in the suction-cupped arms of wanting. It is all I can do to fight, struggle being pulled under an inky veil where our eyes clearly meet, where any and all mystique is gone. Thank you. Please welcome back up Peggy. Okay, now how do I follow that? Ooh. Um, oh, now I know how to follow that. Color me gray. The boundaries of my world mingle with hers. One house, one home, but two hearts entrained by proximity and the absence of intrusion. She was fashioned from my flesh. Now we have been delivered in a spin onto the platform of her approaching self. She is chomping at the bit, ready to mount the carousel of next exploration, jumping on at any given moment. I am loath to stand outside the lines, color me gray, when things appear too black and white in her world. She never seems to give enough information. The golden threads of her childhood to my mystical marsupial pouch are frayed. She is stepping away. Her culture holds the ideas and needs of mine in contempt. I am ancient, dim-witted in her mind. She is magnificent, fearless, but still fragile in mine. I would swaddle her for comfort and protection, but my arms no longer reach around her widening expectations. I am obsolete. She is invention. I am polarized. She is ignition switch, lit up and active. She is all systems go, throwing down, full throttle, wide open. I am hands folding in my lap. As much as I am able, I am letting go. That's my daughter in the back there. Now she's totally embarrassed, but you know, she gets to make the first cut. So if there's a poem you like that's not in the book, it's her fault. <laughs> um, anyway. How many of you remember when the Maharishi met the Beatles? This is called Oh India. 
I keep listening to George Harrison chant in Sanskrit until a wanderlust for Gujarat pounces on me like a loose litter of lion cubs. I'm simultaneous. I'm smitten and stricken, enamored and terrified. I'm walking through intentions of passport acquisition and frequent flyers rejoice. I was once a tiny monk, maybe eight or nine lives old. I was walking contemplation, eyes in the back of my head, looking in unless and until looking through. I was once a black-haired woman, bent at the well for water. Mustard flowers surrounded her head, their color held the threads of her shawl mended together, their bounty. I just went blank. Their bounty, ah, their bounty, pointed to her charity. I lost a word completely. I was once the vessel she held, the one which gathered the water. Om Asatoma Satgamaya Om Shanti Shanti She was refreshment at the banks of the Ganges and I was that old tin can. I'm sorry. Got that word. I'll do one more. I have to redeem myself now. <laughs> God, I know that poem like the back of my hand. This is one of my favorite poems in here. <clears throat> I uh, am very fond of the moon. Full frontal. A still full moon under cover and darkness of midnight. The mere glance of the orb in my direction flirts with duties that lie before me, latches me into its grasp tonight. It whets my appetite. I am night crawler in my own skin, hovering alien looking for prey. Soft tissue vessel carries fluid DNA to inevitable rest. Upon this hearth I build my nest. Oh, bury me. Bury my head in your thigh, on your belly, lost in crook of neck and slip of tongue, no absent glance at the moon, but with full frontal attention, I thee wed, the still full moon, and my pen. Eric Marago. All right, you read a moon poem. Perfect setup for this. Thank you, Peggy. Um, so, if I can find it, I just had it. Uh, poets use the moon a lot, and there's nothing wrong with that. I do it as well, too. And there's a poet who has a title uh, of poetry, uh, a book. I just saw someone I know walk in. Hello. Uh, uh, he has a whole collection entitled No More Poems About the Moon. And that's uh, by Michael Roberts. Uh, and, uh, oh, Moon Tide Press, the book, <laughs> the publisher, yeah, I didn't even think of that. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> this poem is a response to the title of that book. The poem's called Repercussions. Um, epigraph, No More Poems About the Moon, Michael Roberts. 
Upon hearing this, the moon left, walked out for a pack of smokes after she promised to return in five minutes. The next morning, we found slivers of her disappointment scattered everywhere. Toothbrushes snapped, the halves tossed in our toilets, stiletto heels smashed through the computer screens of all poets, and snow globes forced down the throats of garbage disposals worldwide. When glass shards crunched in the metal teeth of sink drains, we knew she wasn't coming back, that we took her lunar sensitivity for granted. We forgot how she obsessed over her shifting gut, how some nights she was ghost thin and others so full, our own bellies swelled from her glow. She hung on each metaphor, all the times we swore she lived in our lover's eyes made her feel so so beautiful. Now she's gone. In time, a strange species, light years away, if they are lucky, may come to know her, write poetry, an alien speak, or perhaps woo her telepathically with thoughts so flattering she forgets our planet's harsh name from her tongue. She will call that rock home. And we will be on this one, struggling to see the beauty in street lamps and traffic lights, enough to compare love to, but we'll find ourselves lacking. Oh, you, guys, you guys are too kind. Um, feel like reading something new, if I can find it. Uh, I'm definitely going to read that, but I don't know if right now is the right time for it. So, um... Okay, yeah. Peggy mentioned um, uh, uh, National Poetry Writing Month challenge uh, that she gave you a prompt for the Lake Your Bones. Um, well, also, it's a goal for many of us to be writing a poem a day for National Poetry Month, and it is a stupid, stupid goal. No, it's not. Stop. <laughs> you can do it. They can be haikus. Oh, yeah, they were. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I... I yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I'm utilizing the whole haiku thing. I might be doing that for today's because I'm writing yesterday's today as well, so I need to catch up. I know, I only say it's stupid because I'm, I'm very bad at writing a lot. Um, so this, this is actually the poem from day one, and it's also kind of about that process. It's called Squeeze. Begins with an epigraph. It's about the work, Lee Strasberg. There are those who make a living extracting venom from the world's most lethal snakes. They squeeze their glands until poison squirts from hollow fangs, collecting vials of the stuff like homemade preserves. Using only a stick in their bare hands, they coerce the creatures ever so routinely as though the job were no more dangerous than an oil change or pouring a cup of coffee. I am jealous of their apparent ease and of the poet who can write just like this. Creativity merely a gland, the slightest pressure can arouse, the perfect order of words no harder to come by than a snake bite. Hell, it's taken two whole days to conjure that last stanza, and it's not even that impressive. I swear. Thank you. I swear. 
It really wasn't. I swear my imagination is a constrictor with unrelenting grip. It coils over and around my entire body. The more I give struggle, the tighter it clasps until bones break, blood leaks, and I asphyxiate in all the unborn words trapped in my throat. That was day one, and it's going downhill from there. Oh, uh, before I read my last poem of this set, uh, somebody asked me what the tattoo, the Bukowski tattoo, and what matters most is how well you walk through the fire or write a poem a day. <laughs> it's very difficult. I commend people who do it. I know, and that's what everyone's telling me, and, and I, I understand, but you just have to do it, and that's, that's the hard thing. I sit, and I, I write and rewrite a first line over and over and over again. Yeah, I, I think as long as I can commit myself to actually just sit down and write every day, that's something. I, I need you in that room with me while I'm doing this, Peggy. You are my personal cheerleader. I like this. I'm just going to take all of you home with me today. They all fit in your apartment, right? Um, you know, I'll read one more new one from the NanoPro since I'm on that right now. I'm just trying to figure out how to set you up, Peggy, for your next set since you set me up so beautifully. So I hope this helps you. Okay. <laughs> this one's new. When they told you it was them and not you, but really it was you. <laughs> I had that title for a very long time before this poem came about. <laughs> Thank you. Quit while you're ahead. Don't ask them the coffee and play the what if game. What if I called less? What if I called more? What if I didn't call them the wrong name in bed? <laughs> you can build a funeral pyre out of unnecessary questions. Stop. Put that torch you carry down. Listen. I know there is a pressure building in your bones, an earthquake tucked behind your ribcage, how your skin is a blues ballad whose notes are scribed in braille, how your gut is a knife fight, but the truth will not set you free. Wings will not grow from the blades of your shoulders if you learn the reasons why. Rather, they will make an anvil out of you. They are not a monster for unloving you. But if it helps, take the clenched fist of your heart and extend its middle finger out for the world to see. It is okay to get angry. Let loose the tremor if you must. Let others trace their hands over your flesh. Let them learn the sad song stretched over your body whenever you're ready. Sheath the knives. I will be here all the while reminding you how to suffer for love without doing anything too foolish. As for those reasons, those little gremlins creeping around the words, it's not you. They are mer merely gears in the machine of the universe. Yes, in this metaphor, you are a fucking universe of awesome. Works just fine without us having to understand. A gorgeous complexity of physics designed to run on its own, regardless of our having learned every pattern and principle. And even with the occasional black hole, there is still so much light. 
There is so much glow in you that it travels millions of years into the past where ancient civilizations build temples in your name. Do not forget to pay tribute to yourself. You are lightning, striking the same place a thousand times. You are the tree that is struck, which does not burn. You are scorched earth, but never ash. Peggy. That was an excellent segue. Um, thank you. I love that. Um, throughout this book are poems that were inspired by phrases in Spanish that I saw while we were in uh, Santa Fe and Albuquerque. And uh, this one at the very beginning is Queste Quemando, What is Burning? Everything, everything is burning, quiver and bow. All things turquoise or pink, held in a box with a fan on top. Even the silk kimono is burning, two cranes preening at the hem. The shamisen, its body up in flames, even as the plucked note quarters. Even as my fingers strum the belly. The fingers are burning, the lips, even the thought that puckers the lips, burning, all burning, the pout, the flush, twisted ankle, knee where fluid once collected, parched, then ash, burnt, hot white, white as the salt flats, white as the last breath taken. <clears throat> I was looking for uh, another one of those, um, which is por el amor de Dios, or for God's sake. These tend to be less story and more just energetic poems. Um, all of them turned out that way. It's interesting. Por el amor de Dios. We morph to skin and bone. We soar, then taxi down. Glades of cloud and cluster breath. Time is a blanket of mesa. Takes claims on masks of the body. We morph to skin and bones. We write with rhythmic dust, lift curtains. We descend through glades of cloud and cluster breath. Prana glows in vestibules, curls around a nettle sprig. We are fish at home in the wadden sea. Say what the pot-bellied moon won't say. Glades of cloud and cluster breath. A certain bite of indigo is met at canyon's edge. Glades of cloud and cluster breath. We morph to skin and bone. Thank you. You probably recognize that's a villanelle. Oh, okay. Poets in the room. This one, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure about this poem in the book, but it's starting to be one of my favorite poems. It's called When Paint Hits Canvas. On the side of the brain that knows no logic, she finds her way each night to his door. He is the hope of soldiers returning, the mercy of rounds emptied in her own defense. 
On the side of the brain that dances without reserve, her card is crowded with the letters of his name. His fragrance floats in her hair. On the side of the brain that hosts kaleidoscopes of light around the moon, she is made of glass translucent as rain. He can see right through her. She is a clear stream where only he may drink. On the side of the brain where paint hits canvas and breaks up darkness, she is cross-cut to perfection, a sapphire without inclusion, made bezeled and bound on the side of the brain where night calls in wonder and day looks for darkness. They meet in a country of misses and flares. They are roadside warnings come in triplicate, stunted by numbers, just go ahead, say they're guilty, they won't deny it. On the side of the brain where sand touches satin and photographs are surreal as time or science, they are catalogs of creative urges, candid shots to museum collections, they are post-election polls, they go beyond the limits of our reach, they teach the bounty of their difference, they are mercy and infantry paradigms colliding and collective drive. They are alive when paint hits canvas and then they die. Eric Marago. What do you think, Peggy? You think we got two sets left each in us? Probably. Okay, that sounds about right. Yeah, I think we're good. Um, wow, I, um, I really like the energy to that poem. I'm going to sit down and reread that. Let me get back to my books. Um, so I guess I wrote this also during um, this month's challenge because we were talking about haikus are perfectly okay. And they are. They absolutely are. I mean, I'm, I wasn't like saying that to be like, you know, to blow them off. I mean, I, 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 a really good haiku can like just hit you. But then also they can be fun. This is called Awkward Kiss Haiku. I'm sorry I burped when we were making out, but better than farting. <laughs> But, thank you. I'm very, very proud of it. I would say I. I what? I know, I know. I I felt bad though. I didn't I didn't have that as my um, as one of my days. I called it a bonus. Um, uh, you were mentioning uh, you do have a lot of uh, Spanish uh, in your in your book when you were traveling through New Mexico. I hope I'm pronouncing it close, people. <laughs> well, you, you set me up for this one, Peggy. So thank you. This is called learning. Her little Spanish words dance a salsa in my head, wearing a dress the color of fire. I understand everything and nada, she says. Seduction sounds the same in every language. For hours, I can just listen to her foreign tongue work over unfamiliar syllables like she's talking dirty. Me gusta la biblioteca. <laughs> Sounds like fuck me gently, but translates to I like the library. <laughs> I've gone through six cassettes, one bottle of lotion, and I must say my Spanish is improving. <laughs> Muy bien. <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
Outstanding. This morning, I just paid off a credit card. Its balance lingering from college like a hangover, interest rates as swollen as a gut. I'd like to think I spent all that money I didn't have on necessities, textbooks, car repairs, and parking fees, but it probably all went towards beer. <laughs> I felt like being a little silly for this set. Uh, I'll end on a, a serious note. Must you? What? Must you? Must I? <laughs> I just pulled out my funny stuff. Well, that was enough funny stuff to set you up, Peggy. You're, you're good to go. You can definitely go funny in the next round. No worries. This, <laughs> this was a request. How to lie on a bed of nails. It starts with an epigraph. What we are practicing is suffering, which everybody practices, but strangely, few of us grow graceful in. Tony Hoagland. It looks impossible. Flesh pressed against a thousand reasons to hurt. Don't fool yourself into thinking this. It is not magic. Just pressure divided across a body. Go slow. Ease onto the bed with purpose. Know what it is you suffer for, then ask your nerve endings to stretch over rows of tiny, sharp reminders. You may fear they will sink inches deep, but the surface tension of each being so close together will keep skin from breaking. But to grow graceful at it, you must practice. Rehearse. Let it become dance. A soft waltz. Trace a hand over the nails. Feel each slight scrape tingle your palm like static. Imagine this electricity is not from waiting metal teeth, but from taut dress fabric hugging the small of a lover's back you've yet to meet. Convince yourself of this until you forget the teeth altogether. So when you must finally perform for a crowd, all anxious and rowdy, they will be hushed, awestricken by your daring act, by just how effortless you make suffering appear. Thank you. Peggy, coming up. Okay, so he said dance, and that sent me on a whole different, whole different trajectory. <clears throat> uh, dance was my first love, and I came to poetry very late after a back injury. So a lot of my poems are about dance. This is called Technique. A dancer walks down Mission Street with a Marlboro in one hand and a latte from La Boheme in the other. She is a rainbow muffler wrapped around thorax dragging deep into the celery snap of another San Francisco morning and itching to pull on the day's first leotard. This is Mariposa Studio, heart of the dance, a cable car up poke, bus across town, a stop at the cafe, and half a mile hoofing it into the warehouse district, industrial doors, open to cement hallways, open to studio spaces sprung with wooden floors, the smell of kiln and oils, and the long push of a cotton broom across the caramel boards. Always the care of the floor comes first as breath 
falls to lower chakras, dissolves all dissonant, and light streams in through southern exposure. Today, the spirit of Eric Hawkins wields the broom. Footsteps are a barely audible imprint on the ear, so quiet you could hear your breath. And a five, six, seven, and eight. And it's another one about dance going in a completely different direction can you hear me okay without the mic I'm first love what you can hear me oh okay oh sorry darn okay first love the rhythm of my blood beats its way along the river of my being. The joy of motion lifts the leg and tosses it into the air. Follows the sensation of the foot on the floor. Gravity has its embrace on me. Tears, they say, must roll down cheeks for the spirits to be lifted once again. And the arms, too, are lifted into gesture. Here is Lord Shiva swaying to the spin of the earth on its axis. Rise up. Hear voices of angels. Rise up. Set yourself free. Feel the sun on your face and the wind at your heels and know that when you hold your lover in the grass at dawn, you can gaze into the soil and hear fossils breathe. This is the now and forever, the falling into grace. It's the rapture of a poem that dances on the face. Um, can I do two more? Sure, okay. I know, but I still want to do two more. Okay. I came to being really okay. Um, <laughs> okay, it's going now. I want to get a little funny, so, but I feel like these two need to go together. Um, I have a friend named Belinda, who's like not only Republican but really kind of square. And we're sitting at this party, and all of a sudden she pipes up and she goes, "The last time I saw a cockfight, I was in Cambodia." Definitely a prompt for a poem. This is called Le Prétendant, or The Pretender. The last time I saw a cockfight, I was in Cambodia, but I don't remember going to Cambodia. And why would I have gone? I'm not in the military, no particular fondness for the region, no familial connection. Now, talk about Kashmir, or Java, or Tibet. But Cambodia? Listen, I am one who wants for tablas in my blood and Vedas in my ear. I am peaks of Pradesh, Prapto's dance among the ruins, silk of a billion saris, prostrate, uh, prostrate on temple floors, marble incense, ascetic swoon. Luxury lures in prastic practice of Asteya, Brahmacharya, Om. Love reclines on the bottom rung, a prompt that leads like Shakyamuni's mother, like Jesus in a rainforest, like standing alone on Mount Nanda Devi in the dark glow of a blue moon, faller no shoot, climber 
without a rope. Shut your stars and stay clear. Be only this. I'll do one more. Yeah. Um, this one was from a series of poems about birth. And um, these were all very, very dark poems I kept writing and then decided to just forget about the truth. Southbound. The day the devil's advocate stopped by, my father was out to lunch. My stepbrother was born before anyone could get to the hospital. Mother lay in the cab, humiliated. She never made it to the ABC room, for which she paid double to have her second born enter the world underwater in a state of bliss. It's what the brochure promised. Her peignoir designed for nursing mothers remained in her suitcase in the hall, which got left behind in the rush. No single specialist had ever reported the effects of birth by taxi driver in any of her nine previous months of research. Mother threw up her hands and accepted the shirt-swaddled child. Cord unsevered. The sirens got louder, and the baby wailed. Eric Morago. Thank you. Before I finish this last set, let me just say thank you to Skylight Books for inviting us to read for uh, you guys. Thank you guys for coming out and listening to us tonight. Um, yeah, so. Poem for the ex who hated poetry. Your attention span sucks, so I wrote this haiku. I know you cheated. That, that was it. Um, this is your two-poem warning. That means these are my last two poems of the night. Thank you. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, if I had known, <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed that you guys are recording this and I was talking about masturbation up here. Uh, yeah, they should have told us that. <laughs> I think it's, it's good. It's, you know, kind of unplugged, off the cuss. Had no idea that was going to happen. All right. Um, so Peggy opened up with two wonderful poems by uh, other other poets, and I always think it's a good idea for poets when they uh, are reading for an audience to share work with somebody else that they admire. So I'm going to be reading a poem from uh, Charles Harper Webb's collection, Hot Popsicles, which is an awesome collection of prose poems. This is my favorite in the book and one of my favorite uh, Webb poems there is, and I studied with Webb uh, when I was doing my uh, MFA, so I like the guy. He's a great poet and a really great person, so I like to honor him this way. Superman old. He can still fly and squeeze coal into diamonds and see through walls and women's clothes, but sometimes speeding through clouds he loses control and tumbles like a spent bullet end over end, forgets where he's going and has to take a taxi home. He lives alone, Clark Kent, retired reporter but believes spies sneak into his room and steal his shoes. Old daily planets heap up in his hall. The health department calls about cockroaches. He shoves the inspector through a wall. When Jimmy Olsen dies, then Perry White, he wants to die too. But Earth lacks kryptonite. 
Three knives shatter on his wrists. Eight bullets of ascending caliber ping off his skull. He jumps in front of a train. It derails, killing fifty. He walks away. His tantrums topple tall buildings. The SWAT team sent for him retreats with casualties. The CIA finds Lois in a nursing home. Kidneys shot and colon gone. She says she'll help. A helicopter lowers her wheelchair into the rubble where Superman sleeps. She leans down to stroke his cheek. Superman, it's me. He jerks upright, eyes baffled. Who are you? I'm your mother, Superman. She lies. His brow softens. I missed you, Mom. Do you remember Lois Lane? She asks. He scrunches up his face, still young and handsome as a boy's. Kinda, he says. She was pretty. Lex Luthor has her. Up there, Lois points at Cassiopeia glittering. Can you see her? Superman squints. I don't know. She takes his hand, still strong as steel. Lois needs you, Superman. You've got to save her. Lois, he whispers and stands. He straight, she straightens his cape. Who are you? He asks. Your mother, Superman. Save Lois, please. Save Lois, he says. <laughs> Stretching hands above his head, he bends his knees. Fly, Clark. She says, then grips his cape and lets his leap yank her up out of her wheelchair. Her heart slows. Then, as the air thins, it stops. Her hands relax and she falls like the last booster of a rocket that, an instant later, begins tumbling end over end toward its home in the stars. Charles Harper Webb. Uh, this is my last poem. Uh, this is where the title of the book comes from. That's the last poem in the book. The title of the book is What We Ache For, and they have copies available here, as well as copies of Peggy's fantastic book. You should buy both, but if you can only afford one, buy Peggy's. Because hers is brand new. Tandem. One. As a kid, I was afraid to ride a bicycle. Puzzled by its strange mechanics, confused how one stayed balanced on only two thin rubber wheels in motion. I decided to leave it to the schoolyard daredevils. Walking was fine for me. But with the sucker punch of puberty, my guts were wound up enough messy bravery to finally learn how, so I could slip out in the night with friends and teepee the houses of all the girls we liked. We tossed the rolls high over our heads like hand grenades, spreading toilet paper as if it were the lining of our own hearts, as if we were skywriting love notes against a canvas of midnight. Rushing home after our confessions, we were champions on ten speeds, free of words we'd wanted to say but hadn't yet developed language for. I was most alive, though, pedaling towards the girls, appreciating how far I came to understand the balance of it all. Certain it was something I needed to know. I could feel it in the way my muscles ached. Two. On our first date, you tell me how solitude grew to fit you well. How if a straight jacket is worn long enough, it can become a favorite winter coat. Two months later, you tell me a different story. The beach, 
your sisters and their boyfriends, two rented tandem bikes and a cruiser left for you that was more torture device than bicycle. It pulled a confession from your chest. The word lonely escaped like a ghost through the walls of your ribcage and has haunted you since. Hearing this, I want to hold you with more arms than I have. Loot a prosthetic limbs factory just to octopus hug you when I whisper. Your beautiful autonomy makes single cell organisms jealous, but eventually, even they learn to split in two. What I don't say is this. I hope your heart divides. I hope I'm around to see its stunning symmetry. Maybe feel the weight of it rest in my palm long enough to memorize its friction. That kind of confession, there's no language for. So we sit silent, my eyes promising I'll ride tandem bike marathons with you, and yours answering back. This is what we ached for. Thank you very much. Another round of applause for Eric Morago. Also, I would very much like to thank Eric for coming out and uh, to Skylight Books and to Laura for this great invitation and uh, really our pleasure to be here. Uh, we have to save our last few uh, bookstores, so don't wait to get the book at G2. Get it tonight. Yeah. Um, and uh, I also want to thank Marie LaCravaine. Marie uh, is, is the editor of Poetic Diversity. It's where I got my start publishing. And I brought a, a copy of the book to Marie because it's always good to have somebody who knows where you've been read your book first. And she wrote a lovely review, so I invite you to have a look at it. Uh, check out poeticdiversity.org um, and see some great, great poetry and submit your poetry. Um, I'm going to do uh, one more poem from, um, from since the book, so it's a brand new poem, and then uh, the title poem from the book. And thank you all for coming out on a Tuesday night. I know it's hard to come, come, come out in the middle of the week. This is called Four Seasons in Four Days. How benevolent were my findings, how favored like the upper route, the sacred trail how the inquiry rose like Kilimanjaro, how great the spirit of the climb, root of volunteer pressing through solid rock, angled to the slant of the peak, how determined our course. How prayer flags shimmied from pole to pole, how the Sherpa became dismayed, fleetly repelled for a clear shot at the bluff, how benevolent were my findings, how hopeful my descent, how I passed camphor and fig, took breath of them as I could, as temperatures rose on the trail, as the murmurs of foliage floundered in the breeze. Uh, do you guys know Keith Niles? Keith is a great underground L.A. poet who runs The Little Joy. And he had this poem, How This Was My That. And I've just like written a million of them now. Um, um, 
and that was the first one. Anyway, okay, this is the title poem, and again, thank you very much for being here and, and for indulging us and for your attention. And uh, this one is called Fledgling Humans We, and it has a made-up epigraph. The unruliness of my clock face my breath my sharp claw. Let worlds come together, signs empathic, foreheads collide. We are meant for this. We become food at the table. A sawed-off barrel falls deep, comes right back when drawn up. Our skin melts in the heat of afternoon. I have caused this chasm of canyons. This dining car rides rails of extinction. Raw meat hangs on a hook. Sympathetic powders have been found. There is elasticity in my thoracic cavity. You mustn't say you've seen it if you never have. It's either magic or it's just hocus pocus. This is a crabgrass contemplation. Instead, say your name. Face your mantra in a singular drop of myrrh. Cover your head. Let the honey run. Let it be holy. Let it suckle at every pore of you, every seed, every fluid, every vice. Let it render a fierce durga on the walls of your cave. Let it wade in the lake of your bones. Read you in adequate light, cover to cover, looking up every unfamiliar word as you go. Thank you. You have been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.